we are actually wrapping up a sermon series on supernatural ministries uh, this week. Um, we're going to do a little summary and review of this uh, strange sermon series uh, that we've had. Uh, go over just uh, a few uh, of the main elements, but mostly just kind of talk about how we can make uh, the totally strange supernatural stuff part of our regular lives. How many, how many of you want what might be called an exotic life of ministry? Like, you, you want your life to be crazy strange for ministry, you know? How, how, many, of you, how many of you, like, want that? You know, you want to do what they call full-time ministry. I, I never know what that means. Uh, like, am I in full-time ministry? I'm working at least time and a half for one thing. Um, but, you know, aren't, aren't we all? So I, I don't know that term. But, you know, like vocationally, you want to do ministry or you want to be one of those strange foreign missionaries and go to some unreached place uh, like Mindy. How, how many of you want something like that? You, you want your life to be upside down? And All right. Um, extreme social justice life, like some of our community house people, like Vern, who's just a freak, you know. She just got back from a social justice trip. How is that? That's cool. Uh, okay, all right, so how many of you uh, want a regular life, you know, and, and, by, and, and I'm, not, I'm not seeing my wife, not even going to acknowledge her. And by regular life, I mean, you know, kind of like a life that, you know, maybe you have a regular job. Maybe you have a regular family. Um, maybe you have uh, a routine in life uh, through, through which you can still produce kingdom fruit. All right? So kind of normal looking but fruitful for the kingdom nonetheless. You know what I'm talking about? One of those lives. How many of you want that instead? More, a little, little more regular, a little more rhythmic. You know what I love about our church is that you're almost embarrassed to say you want a normal life here. <laughs> That's what we've come to at, at Blue Water Mission. Um, both would be okay, right? I mean, both, both are good. If you, if you live a life that just manifestly, obviously looks strange, uh, that can be really good. But if you look like a normal person but do kingdom stuff anyway, that can look good, right? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, and that opens up a lot of doors for me, actually. People seek me out when, when they have questions or when they're going through challenging times. People who don't even believe in Jesus, they're like, you're, you're a pastor, right? You know about God, so let me approach you with this struggle. And that's awesome. That's great. Uh, but there are also a lot of people who avoid me because I'm a pastor, including a good number of you. <laughs> and so, you know, we... We reach those people by being what? You know, teachers, uh, accountants, or, or full-time parents, maybe lawyers. I don't know. God is great. Um, yeah, can happen. Uh, you, need, you need both. So, uh, so I think in, in the kingdom of God, and certainly around Blue Water, there are two types of peoples. You have the exotic weirdos, and then you have the normal weirdos. And you've got you to pick one of the two. Which one do you want to be? You want to be an exotic weirdo or you want to be a normal weirdo? Exotic weirdo? Okay, but I think that is the choice. 
just, just so you know, I spend a lot of time trying to make uh, you weird. Uh, today at the newcomer's lunch, as I always do at these newcomer's lunch, I will make one promise to people. What is it? I will promise to do my level best to ruin your life. Um, by which I mean, you know, reset uh, priorities and, and give you a more expansive view uh, of life. Um, and uh, I think when I, when I express it that way, exotic weirdos and normal weirdos, I think you could look around Blue Water and at least among the well-known people, you kind of, you can categorize them, right? Uh, Vern. Exotic weirdo. You know, Vern has a regular day job. And, and this, this is what I love. She, she holds down a job. She is raising uh, a toddler daughter. Um, and yet we think that she's an exotic weirdo because she's taken normal life and she's just done very, very strange things with it. Right? Other exotic weirdos? Me, thank you. John, Roberts, John and Anna Roberts. Nuts. Elton Wong. That whole K2 crowd. Both of them, all three of them, well, Anna kind of, hold regular jobs. They have, they have a normal life, but they're being, they've come to look exotic, you know. The, the boundaries merge, um, and uh, how does that happen uh, is, is my question. There are a lot of people that I, uh, that you might consider normal weirdos, but they're not going to be uh, so well known, but I'm in a position to know a lot of them. Names I probably shouldn't mention to protect their, their glory. Um, people are sharing their money and their homes in, in severe ways for Jesus. You know, people who just opened up their normal, quote-unquote, normal lives uh, to do incredible acts of hospitality or generosity or something like that. Our best stories of healing at Blue Water, and certainly our best stories of evangelism, I think, come from the regular folk, so far as we have any. Uh, around uh, Blue Water. Uh, normal Blue Water members just doing abnormal things in the course of their normal life. Do you know what I mean? Kind of normally weird. Uh, being the sort of church we are and the kingdom of God being what it is, I think we'll always, we'll always need a number of people who live sort of exotically. Uh, they tend to be, you know, the pillars of culture uh, around a place. Um, and I'd love to put out a call today to anyone who wants to become uh, an exotic weirdo. You want to shrug off normal, or at least not be afraid to shrug off normal in, in life, and just, just go where you feel your ministry calling takes you. I think that we do that pretty well as a church. Um, you know, anybody uh, can be uh, an extreme, radical exotic minister uh, for the Lord. But mostly, uh, we need people who do abnormal things in their normal lives. That's sort of the fabric of any church. Um, either way, whether you're exotically weird or normally weird, I found that the key to freeing people to live those exotic lives or to do really unusual things in the course of their normal lives is to embrace the supernatural, is to embrace supernatural ministry. I think that's what makes us weird, no matter our context, no matter our mode of living. 
All right, let's read uh, scripture for today from Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. This is actually a, a, a scripture we use to, or uh, most of it is a scripture that we use to kick off the sermon series. And it comes from a story where Jesus has been hanging out with his disciples for tom- some time, and now he's going to send them out without him. Right? It's like they've been hanging around Jesus, they've been doing ministry with Jesus, and now Jesus is like, all right, I'm sending you out on your own, uh, and this is how I want you to go do things now. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. That's exciting. These are the names of the 12 apostles. And even this list is kind of interesting. First, Simon, who is called Peter. So literally, uh, in, if you know the names, uh, the meaning of these names, it's like, first, uh, Sandy, who is called Rocky unstable who is called stable. That's what that means. So Jesus, you tell right away that Jesus is transforming people. And his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. A tax collector, it lets you know that Jesus reached to the very dregs of society. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now that is a motley crew. We've got Uh, extortionist tax collectors, we've got unstable personality types, we've got a betrayer, and that's his inner circle. Very interesting, very interesting little church they have here. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions, and here's where it gets really freaky. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Go to your own people. As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. God is with us now, is the message. Then heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Go, tell everybody that God is with us, do a bunch of miracles, and uh, just give no matter your resources because you've been given, no matter your skill and qualification. (laughs) You know, it's just fabulous. Uh, Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. You don't get to take any money. No bag for your journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff. You don't get to take any luggage. For the worker is worth his keep. Somehow, when you're out there doing miracles, uh, you'll get food and shelter. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. Find a friendly stranger. That's going to be your way. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Uh, Be a man of peace, uh, but just so you know, you will occasionally get rejected. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Fail, but fail fast and and keep moving. Don't, don't Don't get bogged down. Uh, if you get rejected. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Well, that's ominous. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Jesus, can I just say, sucks at pep talks. You guys are going to go out there and you're going to be food. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Um, be wise and stay pure. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. 
even the religious people will hate you. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. This will take you places where you never imagined. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. We could spend a whole sermon series just on that passage uh, uh, alone. At a certain point in his time together, Jesus ordered his disciples to travel on without him to preach the same message he preached and to do the same supernatural things that he did, the same healings, the same deliverances. And he didn't allow them to take any money or food or extra clothes or to go to people that they knew. So they actually needed to pull off miracles in order to get food. Right? If they showed up in town and tried to heal a bunch of sick people and failed, would the townsfolk have taken them in and fed them and accepted them? No, they would have treated them like a bunch of clowns. So basically Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm going to send you out there naked like sheep among wolves, and if you don't perform miracles, you'll starve. How many of you want to live an exotically weird life? Okay, fewer. Now we're, you know, we're starting to see... Uh, the job description uh, is, is uh, interesting. Um, and, and, you know, this thing about sending them out as sheep among wolves with the warning that both worldly people and religious people will hate and abuse them. It, survival uh, would seem to be the most immediate concern for these people. Not ministry, but just surviving. How would they survive all of these challenges? Well, you know, the same way Jesus called them to ministry, uh, he called them to resource, you know. When you're stuck for words, the Spirit uh, will tell you what to say. Hey, bottom line, what this whole passage suggests to me is that Jesus was dead set on supernaturalizing his followers. You know, he made it harder than he had to make it. They could have taken a lunch pail, for goodness sake, uh, they could have done some fundraising and taken a little money with them. No. He said, look, guys, you will live or die based on your ability to do supernatural ministry and to receive words from the Spirit supernaturally. That's your mode. That's your mode. You need to do it that way. You need to rely on the supernatural in life. The question is, why? Why would he do such a thing? Why did he have to be so hardcore about it? And a few responses that you might think of. One, it made them relevant in any situation, any place that they went. For instance, you know, you'll find sick people wherever you go, so they always had something to do. You know, you can't go everywhere in the world and be a Bible teacher because you'll find that not every person on earth is interested in what the Bible has to say. But there are sick people in need of help and interest in help wherever you go. Uh, so I think, you know, that's, that's part of it. Um, I think maybe a larger part of it is that it made faith relevant to their each and every day. The faith that was required of Jesus' followers uh, wasn't a theoretical, hey, there's a heaven after you die sort of faith. It was a very practical, immediate, something supernatural better happen right now sort of faith, right? It, it made it real in their daily lives, in their moment. You know, succeed or fail, um, they had to step out on faith to do these miracles. They, they just had to. 
There was no avoiding it. There was no contemplating the kingdom of God. There was only living it for these guys. That's how Jesus set it up for them. Uh, if they followed his advice, they would break down social barriers. Go to a place where nobody knows you, find a nice guy, move into his house, move in with his family, uh, and be weird. Do a bunch of miracles, cast out demons, and, and talk about God. If you did all of that stuff, social pressure would mean less to you. If you, if you actually got used to it, like, would you be afraid of how people treated you? No, you're beyond that now, you know. You're no, you're no longer afraid of people thinking you're weird. You're kind of counting on people thinking you're weird. Right? So that's interesting. And, and more than anything else, I think it eliminated fear for them. Like, when they got back from this journey, having seen the kingdom come, and they did. They saw miracles. They came back and said, Lord, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. They pulled it off. They survived they did miracles. It actually worked for them. Having gone through this experience, what would they fear from then on? Well, being human, they, they did come up with things to fear. But what should they fear after this experience? They should not fear death, sickness. They should not fear demons. They should not fear social awkwardness. They should not feel lack or poverty because the Lord had provided for them in supernatural ways. They shouldn't fear their own qualifications or ignorance or lack of education because the Holy Spirit himself gave them words to speak. They were fear-free from then on. Or at least I think that's what Jesus was driving at. And all of those things are really good. And all of those things, it's easy to see, can apply to everyone, right? You don't need to be a Jesus missionary in, you know, a developing country in the Mediterranean, risking your life in order to have all of those things apply. How many of you could stand to be a little freer from social pressures and social boundaries and social awkwardnesses? Probably about everybody. Uh, how many of you could, could stand to be a little bit freer from money concerns? Sure, yeah. Uh, how many of you uh, would like to have a little more to bring to bear uh, when you come into challenges of sickness or suffering or something like that. You really want to be confident about having something to get. It all applies to every human who follows Jesus, not just the guys who are living this exotically uh, extreme uh, sort uh, of life. And, and, you know, the rest of Scripture really drives that home. Everything that we have in the Bible that talks about the lifestyle that we are to lead really underscores the importance of sort of being supernaturally conditioned uh, in this way. Uh, Paul says to the Corinthians in his first letter to them in chapter 2, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. In other words, I showed up in Corinth as a sheep among wolves. Didn't have any money or anything like that and could have been killed. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I didn't show up as just a, a, an interesting teacher or a self-help guru. I showed up and showed you the Spirit's power. Well, he did miracles. In order that, your faith would really rest on God's wisdom, God's presence, and not on anything else. Because if it rests on anything else, you're going to be afraid. 
He says to them a couple chapters later, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. Or some of your translations will say, the kingdom of God does not consist in words, sermons, studies. It's not a matter of talk, but of power. You have to have supernatural mana happening in your life. Otherwise, you're going to be off. You're going to be off. Something's not going to work for you in the kingdom. It's easy to read stories about the disciples and to exceptionalize them. Like, those guys were nuts. Um, You know, God really used them. But clearly, we're all supposed to play at this game. It, It does apply to all of us. Our modes will be different than their modes. Maybe, maybe not. And I think our church is a good indicator of that. Some of us living lives that look a lot like this. Um, Others of us are living lives that seem normal but are populated by crazy kingdom moments. Um, And just so you know, we won't go over them, but I think uh, the New Testament is is, uh, filled with stories about regular people uh, who do supernatural kingdom things. One guy that shows up uh, for Paul, the writer of Corinthians, was Ananias. You know, that, that gifted supernatural guy in Damascus. Paul gets accosted by the Spirit of the Lord on the road to Damascus. He gets struck blind, you know. And then he's in Damascus, and the word of the Lord comes to this guy, Ananias, who, uh, I don't know, just, just some guys, so some recent converts to Christianity in Damascus. And the Lord says, Hey, uh, I need you to go heal this guy, Saul. Yeah, yeah, he kills Christians. But go heal him and, uh, you know, give him this message. Just some guy whom God interrupted with a prophecy who went to perform supernatural healing and supernatural baptism of the Holy Spirit on this fellow Saul, who would become the greatest missionary the world's ever seen. Just some guy. There are a bunch of other stories like that, but... We'll all at least occasionally get into tough places where we're, where we're inclined to pray for a miracle. You know, we've all had those challenging times in life where you just call out to God to do something miraculous. But I think Jesus' calling is for us to make supernatural ministries part of our regular life with him, even if we're just, quote-unquote, regular people. Maybe especially if we just consider ourselves regular people. So, my question of the day is, What are you going to do in your regular life to be a supernatural minister? And I think that's the proper question to wrap up this sermon series with. What are you going to do in your regular, daily, weekly life to be a supernatural minister? What are you going to do to let the supernatural into your life? Can I just take a survey? How many of you have just thought about that question as we've gone through this sermon series on supernatural ministries? All right, well, that's good. Way ahead of me, you clever people. Uh, We've talked about ministries uh, like supernatural healing. You remember that one? That's fun. Uh, Deliverance. Weirder, but also fun. Uh, Prophecy. Always enjoy that around blue water. We've talked about doing things that increase the flow of God's supernatural power in us so that we can better exceed at healing and deliverance and and, and prophecy. Uh, We went over this thing called the power equation. I think we can stick this up on the board. Uh, The fact is that God partners with us 
to get things done in the world. All kinds of ministry, including the sorts of ministry that we tend to call supernatural. The healings, the deliverances, the prophecies, and stuff like that. He partners with us. We, he makes power available to us. We do things that increase our capacity to flow in that power. That's how it works. Um, we did a whole sermon about that. For instance, to the degree that we are radically obedient to the Lord, to scriptural commands as well as prophetic commands, our authority goes up. Uh, we all have gifts from the Lord to the degree that we know what we're gifted in and to the degree that we unify with our brothers and sisters to exploit their gifts. Then we will always have appropriate gifts to bear during ministry time. Some of you will be gifted in healing. Some of you will be gifted in teaching. Some of you will be gifted in prophecy. Some of you will be gifted in leadership. All of those things are useful on occasion. We need to work together uh, to make sure that uh, we're always able to grab the right person for the job or to grab the right tool if it's ours. So unity, working together, actually boosts our power do supernatural things. Faith, of course, is a super important ingredient in increasing our flow of supernatural power. A little bit of faith can move a mountain, uh, we are told. Um, fear, doubt is anti-faith, so we want to get rid of fear and doubt and sort of maximize our faith. Our faith in what? Our faith in miracles? No, I don't think so. I think our faith that God loves us and is for us and working with us and who is good. It's about, it's about God's willingness. Um, the teens and the youth who are going through the Gospel of Mark with me uh, just this week. Our discussion question was about Jesus' first healing of a leper. That first leper comes up to Jesus in Mark chapter 1 and says not, heal me. What the leper says to Jesus is, if you're willing, I know you can heal me. And I think a lot of us get stuck there. Oh, I know God can do miracles. I just don't believe he'll want to do one through me. I don't think he's willing to do it now with these people at this time. God's willing. And that's where the faith battle is for us. And then there's this thing called consecration, which means to make sacred. To the degree that you make portions of your life set aside for God. You know, in sacrificial prayer or sacrificial worship. To the degree that you give over tracks of your time for pure kingdom purpose, you will be more powerful. You are to be a consecrated person, a consecrated vessel, as, uh, as the scripture says. So as you do those exercises, as you make sacrifices of love in your life, that increases your capacity to flow in supernatural power. A lot more to be said about that. But as we do those things, uh, we grow in our ability to pull off supernatural ministries and all of those things pull us closer to God anyway. You know, at the end of the day, the closer you are uh, to the Lord, the more power you will have to wield uh, in, in the world. So are you willing to make those things a regular part of your day, a regular part of your life? If you want to be regularly supernatural, then you have to be regularly obedient, authoritative. You have to be regularly unified, community-oriented. You have to be regularly faith-filled, and you have to get your faith on every day. You can't indulge in fear or anxiety or doubt. You have to be regularly consecrated. You have to put into your daily routine, your weekly routine, 
chunks that you just set aside for God, that you just set aside for the kingdom. You have to do that regularly, otherwise you won't be regularly powerful, right? So are you willing to do that? That to me is the harder question. I'm regular, I'm, I'm willing to perform a miracle every day. That's fun. Uh, am I willing to live in such a way that I have enough power, godliness, to do the miracle every day? That's where, the, that's where the rubber meets the road. And I think that's what we should be thinking about as we come out of this sermon series. All right. You going to do that? You up for that? I feel like the numbers are dwindling as I ask for questions subsequently. Now, what did, what did you say about being normal? Let's go back there. That sounded... No, nobody gets to be totally normal. All right. Uh, so let me just ask you a couple of provocative questions to end. If, if you're sort of willing to, be, uh, to embrace supernatural ministries in the normal course of things, if you're willing to do the things that are going to help you to flow in supernatural power regularly, then... Um, then you're going to have a supernatural lifestyle. And I just have to ask, are you willing to make supernatural feats part of your regular day? I want to ask you, where does your regular day take place? If I say regular day, what place comes to mind? Just shout out some places. Work. work in your workplace. Where do you hang out? Grocery stores. Grocery stores is a regular place. What else? Starbucks is your regular life. Oh, God have mercy. Your beach, okay. Neighborhood. The dog park. That's very regular. What else? Home. Home with the fam, with the roomies. At the gym. That's a good one. I always need supernatural healing at the gym. In the car, that's a good one. That's pretty normal. Okay, wherever that place is, that's where you should do a supernatural ministry. So I've actually done this in the gym. As a, not, not this past year, but previously I was going to the gym fairly regularly, and you get to know the regulars in the gym. Uh, so I would challenge myself prophetically, because I think that's sort of a gift for me, and I would walk up to people and I would say, hey man, I was praying for you, and I felt God say about you. Silence. Uh, I get a lot, a lot of cool conversations that way. Um, they expect me to be a little weird, maybe because they, they find out that I'm a pastor or I talk about things that I do with my, my weekends or something like that. I very rarely weird people out doing that, and sometimes I just encourage them to, to take bold moves uh, in their life. Or uh, healing. Are you willing to do healing at your workplace? Are you willing to do healing in your home? How many of you even practice healing among your own peeps at home? Um, yeah. Uh, healing at, at, at school, in the classroom, healing at the dog park. I want that story. I want, I want healing at the dog park. Could be a healed dog, could be a healed dog owner, I don't care. Although healing a dog would be cooler. <laughs> a little dog could come and do a little testimony. Uh, we feel... So, uh, so sometimes I try to do it like this. I walk up to someone and I say, hey, we've just had a ton of these supernatural healing stories at, at my church. Can I take like 30 seconds right now and try to heal you? That's what I say. And uh, sometimes that works. How many of you have pulled that off? 
Oh, not a few. How many of you have tried it? We need more of those hands, right? Um, deliverance. Deliverance at work. How many of you need to do deliverance at work? All right, so there you go. Should be, should be easy. It's very clear what the need is and who needs it, right? Um, actually, when I perceive that, um, you know, I'm, I've actually done this. I uh, did this in a television newsroom once. Uh, you know, I say something like, hey, you know, Sometimes spiritual forces attack us. And I found that it pays to attack them back. So can I just pray for you for a minute? And, and then, then I usually get to. You know, I don't start the conversation by saying, you know, hideous demon, come out! Um... But there's, there's, there's a way uh, to get there. One nice thing about our 10-week Ohana groups is that a lot of them are pretty regular settings. They're pretty regular settings. We have groups at the beach. We have, you know, board game groups. We have, you know, just groups in homes or out in, in the neighborhood or at the park and, and stuff like that. Um, normal get-togethers in which we can insert a little supernatural stuff. You know, just a bunch of guys getting together to surf. Pray for one person every week. Or uh, have a prophecy for the other surfers in the lineup when you're out there. You can do that. And it's a way to make something normal, supernatural. It's a way to bring the kingdom. You're always going to have that option uh, if you're willing to uh, em embrace it. Uh, now, for those of you who feel like you still want a more exotic calling in life, can I just say it starts by, willing, by being willing to do exotic things in your normal life? One thing I say to every would-be foreign missionary is, no, I will not send you out on the foreign mission field until you show me that you can lead a small group in your own culture. You know, if you can't be normally weird, then forget about being exotically weird yet. <laughs> You have to bring it into your normal life. That's, that's the path. Um, at Blue Water, we try to exotic, uh, honor those who have exotic callings in a way that I think a lot of faith communities don't. I mean, there are no professionals here, right? Anybody could be called to do anything at any time. And I think that's part of our challenge uh, and, and our charm. But it does start by being willing to be supernatural right where you are to do this sort of kingdom stuff at work, at school. That's the path. All right, bottom line, I think because we are supernatural people, we do what we're told. We answer any call. We respond to any prompting from the Lord uh, without limits because we can do all things through him uh, who strengthens us. Just so you know, following your calling will be weird. It might be more exotically weird or more normally weird. And it will probably involve you being at least a little bit supernatural. That's the nature of the kingdom of God, which does not consist in words but in power. 
And I'm hoping that you're carrying that away from the sermon series. And I hope in the next few weeks we get stories back of people who have done weird supernatural things at all sorts of regular times and places. Amen? All right, let's pray for a minute and let's have the ministry team come up. I want to pray uh, this morning, Lord, for your call and your commands to go out to our congregation. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, 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 give people a vision of exotic lives that you want them to lead. And people receive that calling and that vision without fear. It's going to be fine. The thing that will make it possible is miracles, but that's cool. We can get those. And I pray, Father, that you would prompt uh, to our minds uh, visions, ideas, callings to be uh, supernatural, to be weird, to be inappropriate, to break through social boundaries, to break free of the fear of, 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 of money and lack, um, to break free of the fear of, of disease and spiritual battle so that we can be uh, supernatural in our workplaces, our homes, our school, our commute. Speak now, Holy Spirit, and give us instructions. I bless you, Blue Water Mission, uh, for being open to the adventure that the Holy Spirit brings you. To cry, try crazy things. Um, to rely on the Holy Spirit in what you do. I'm just so blessed to be a part of a group of people who really takes that seriously. Father, I pray that you would change us all at least a little bit before we go. I pray that you would breathe on us, that you would give us the inspiration that we need to be exceptional during moments of this week. I pray, Lord, for divine appointments, and I pray for fruitfulness and purpose. We pray humbly in the name of our Savior, Jesus, and everybody says, amen. God bless you.